an amazing continuing conversations we have for you here today, folks. Of course, I'm Michael Dismuke. I am a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG, in addition to running continuing conversations, which is the excuse me, continuing missions, which is the number one blog for Star Trek Adventures, along with uh, some other compatriots um, who blog everything about the game. Um, and then, of course, this is Continuing Conversations, a podcast run weekly, talking about the game, the people behind the game, the fans behind the game, the creative artists all over the game. And it's just to keep us all excited about what I consider to be the number one RPG ever made. And of course, let's introduce Jim Johnson. Hey, everybody. I'm Jim Johnson. I'm the uh, project manager and line editor for the uh, Star Trek Adventures RPG, published by Modifius Entertainment, uh, going on seven years now, heading into year number eight. Uh, super excited to be here with my co-host, Michael. Uh, we've been doing the show for about 80 episodes now, still going strong. I can't, can't believe we've been at it for 80 episodes, but uh, we got more to come. So much more to come. It's, uh, it's going to be fun, fun, fun. Uh, so, yeah, I'm super, super excited for our guest tonight. So uh, without more ado, I want uh, Dr. Erin McDonald to introduce herself, uh, please. Oh. Why, well, I wanted you. to brag about her. I was going to do all this <laughs> bragging about, about, about her and stuff. Go for it. Flatter yeah. me. Yeah, you did research. Show off your research. <laughs> well, because then, uh, <laughs> well, the thing is, is that people rarely, rarely, like, really get into the the, the grid of their skill set and stuff like this. And this is a big deal. Let me talk about, again, We, like Jim said, we have Dr. Aaron McDonald with us on the show today. And, you know, I'm always pleased when people come onto this show who are so deeply ingrained into Star Trek. You know, we've been privileged to have, like, Dayton Ward, Scott Pearson. Um, we've been able to have Jackson Lansing on, Eliza Pearl. You know, a, a lot of people really deeply involved with Star Trek and that. And today, Dr. Erin McDonald is a heavy hitter. And let me tell you why. I have to say, when I looked at her bio and I saw that she earned her PhD at 25 years old, <laughs> I was like, we're dealing with Wesley Crusher here. What the heck is going on? Um, and and uh, some of her, her uh, honors, she has a PhD in astrophysics. She has a PA cum laude physics with astrophysics and a BA mathematics. I mean, this, this is amazing. And, and for those of you who may not know who Dr. Erin McDonald is, she is uh, uh, the consultant for Star Trek science for all of the shows right now. So this is mind blowing that we're able to have you, uh, Dr. Erin with us today. And of course, Jim has a relationship with you because you write for Modifia. Yes, in Star Trek Adventures. So everybody, you want to know how legit it is? Dropping the mic there. All right. So Dr. Aaron, tell us about yourself now that I've gushed all over you. Thank you. That was very nice. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. I mean, my background is in astrophysics. I did my PhD studying uh, gravitational waves and general relativity. So that's kind of how I got into like the sci-fi of it all, looking at how time travel works, how faster than light travel works. I started giving talks at conventions and uh, that kind of led me into the entertainment industry. So yeah, I do that full time in addition to writing as well as doing some producing for short films. Okay, we're gonna talk about your journey too. We love doing that. Of course, Jim has a question he loves to ask every person who comes on for the very first time. You wanna take it, Jim? Yeah, you bet. So it's a, it's a tradition here on Continuing Conversations that uh, anytime we have a new guest on, we always have to ask you two questions. Number one, who's your favorite captain? And number two, what's your favorite series? 
All right. Well, my captain is Captain Catherine Janeway. Yes. <laughs> on my desk <laughs> at all times. Mine too. Uh, yes. Yeah. She, she is where it's at. Um, I freaking love Captain Janeway, like got me through graduate school. And he, cause I didn't go in like wanting to be a professor necessarily. I didn't have a goal after I did my PhD. And so there were so many times where I was like, why am I putting myself through this? And then I would watch Voyager and I would just be like, oh, I can't, I can't let her down. <laughs> warp particles, <laughs> warp particles. Exactly. Um, and that there's the whole stories behind that too. But, um, but my favorite show is Deep Space Nine. My favorite series is Deep Space Nine. I just love the found family. I love the quirky characters. I love the like hard uh, serialized storylines with the Dominion War and how much that was seeded throughout all seven years. But then I also love the really fun episodes that they do. Those episodes are really fun. <laughs> so I find myself going back to Deep Space Nine a lot. And what was your what was your first um, show you worked on? Uh, so I got brought in for season three of Star Trek Discovery just for that season. So that was when they went into the future. Um, Michelle Paradise came on as a co-showrunner and uh, she wanted to have some science help. So that was just like a freelance consulting thing that I did with Professor Mohammed Noor um, from Duke University, who's a biology background. And they asked us to come in and help on the science of the burn and then one additional episode from that season. And then, um, yeah, I was lucky enough. I mean, it went well. I live in Los Angeles and the opportunity was there. They had so many shows that were in production at the time that they were like, hey, let's let's give this a try. Let's see if this is valuable. So, yeah, it's exciting. Super duper. That's so cool. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Um, So uh, so thanks for answering those questions. That's great. Um, I think, uh, you know, just to talk a little bit about Star Trek Adventures, I know that uh, I was introduced to you like officially uh, through Thomas Maroney over at uh, Star Trek Online. And, And kudos. Thank you, Thomas. For opening all these doors, man, I tell you, we 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 scored a real coup just getting him involved a couple, you know, a few years ago or whatever. Um, because not only does he provide fantastic artwork for to us from the game, right? But his role, like his Star Trek Rolodex, is so dense, right? Because he's got so many connections. Like Star Trek Online is a is a you know no 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 shyness in saying this is a tier above Star Trek Adventures just because of the scale and the scope and the fact that they can that they can pull in the the actor talent, right, to actually do some of the voice acting and stuff for the for the for the game and everything. Uh, but he connected us with you, and uh, I reached out to you. And there's always that that nervousness of reaching out. It's like, oh, is she going to want to be involved in this little old dinky RPG? <laughs> like, like is she going to care? And like, I remember the the first email you sent me was, I'm I'm already a huge fan of the game, and I'm already actively playing it. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so I just want to. I'd love to. Can you give us a little bit about? Uh, about your background with Star Trek Adventures, like even before you got involved in the game, but like, how are you playing it? Yeah. Who did you play with? Like, what kind of, who are you playing? What's your character? Tell us about it. Right. Yeah. So um, I kind of came into it just so I play a lot of tabletop role playing games. Um, I've got a long D&D 5e game that's been going on forever, <laughs> as, as many people do. Um, but, you know, just kind of through those friends and then actually through going to conventions and stuff like that, they're just groups of people who do like one shots, right? They'll host a host thing. And so I think that's how I originally played it was at a, I think it was at Dragon Con. Um, okay. There was a you know, group just getting together kind of before I was working with Star Trek, even, you know, just back back in the day. So a few years ago now. 
And they uh, trying to think of the right year. God, had to be pre COVID. Had to be. It was. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely was. Yeah. But um, and just did a one shot pre made characters like here, go forth, and uh, and it was really fun. I love. I just love role playing games in general. And so, so I got the game. I got like the base rule set and I just made a character. I didn't have any like campaign to join or anything like that. I was just like, I just want to play in Star Trek land. <laughs> so uh yeah, I went for sort of uh let me see if I did I think it was like Voyager era. Yeah, I think I just made myself into Janeway, honestly. I just made a human science officer just out of the academy. Not a I think it was a lieutenant, not an ensign. I upranked myself a little bit <laughs> and then and then I've used that character I actually have never done like a full campaign on Star Trek Adventures I just I know a few friends who have but um but I like doing one shots and I bring that character in and uh and so she doesn't have like a whole storyline that grows with her but um I do tend to I like always having one role-playing character in all of the different universes that's just like me Uh, I get to pretend to do that. Yeah. So having played tabletop RPGs for so long, what was your impression of, you know, Starship Adventures? Why does it work for you? Or do you think, you know, do you think it really represents the franchise well? Well, I think, yeah, I do think what works best for it. And what I also tell people, you know, who are curious about it is it really plays into that mechanics of the episodic storytelling that it is so easy to do one shots. And I think that's what's so hard with other tabletop games where you have campaigns and um, that trying to get everyone in a room together to actually play to continue your whole campaign is sometimes a struggle. And I think Star Trek Adventures is great. Again, I don't have a longstanding campaign, but friends who do and even for me just dropping in as a one shot it's like if they miss a a day or two of the game they you know they just get caught up and they go on to the next mission it's like all right we'll play this one without you you're on vacation or whatever like yeah come back and we'll fill you in on where everything's at and that's why i think those mechanics work really well it fits both the star trek storytelling that we're familiar with but it also is like kind of a a nice unique way to do campaign role-playing games very true and talk to us about your involvement with star trek adventures um now now that you're you're coming in and um writing what type of uh things are you working on i mean without, jim, NDA, t- without breaking nda right i know jim, i was like jim, jim, jim tell me what i'm allowed to say tell me what uh, i'm allowed to say jim uh, tell I mean, them what i'm working on <laughs> yeah we can we can we can tease the fact that the the first project you worked on was a set of mission briefs and uh, all about science, of course, all about science anomalies and things that can go wrong in space and hor- go horribly wrong and, and completely devastate your day and your ship's day and everything. So that's uh, <laughs> um, by the time this airs, it might be almost ready to release. I think it really depends on how long it takes Paramount to go through the review cool. cycle on the layout. But in fact, literally, I mean, today it's uh, early June, right? I literally just finished the, uh, the, the revision pass on the layout. And this uh, airs on July 7th, just so you know, July 7th. So it might not be out yet, but uh, again, I'm not sure if this one's the next in the queue or not, but uh, soon. Right. So within the next couple of months, your your mission briefs pack will be out and hopefully fans will eat it up and be really excited about it. Um, because you reached out and were interested in work like we, you did the mission brief pack. And I was like, well, hey, are you available for this? Are you available for this? And like, you haven't said no to me yet. And so I keep feeding yeah. work and, and like you're on you're on a steady stream of stuff now. And none of it we can talk about, unfortunately, which really sucks. All uh, but good. But what we can't say. A lot of stuff coming. But what we can't say, I know I was when, when uh, 
I saw that we were working on a project together. I literally flipped backwards. I was like, what? Because what it did, it, Star Trek Adventures, first of all, Nathan Dowdell, you know, we always credit him. He nailed a game. He got a game system that really nailed the Star Trek storytelling that you were referencing. But when um, people like, you know, Dayton Ward, Scott Pearson, yourself come on and, and start writing for the game, that the legitimacy factor just flies out the window for a geek like me. I'm a super fan. That's all I am, you know? So hearing that is really nice that that just brings the level up, um, you know, even yeah. more, even it was already a high level, but um, your addition to it, it's going to be, people are going to really love what they see you working on. Thank you. Yeah. I think the two things that excite me the most about working on it is like one, the fact that I can come in both as someone who plays a lot of tabletop role-playing games, but then also like plays science officers and has that science background to try to figure out how to make like stories that are a lot highlight the engineering and the science departments a little bit more. Um, but then also like just all the technology and everything, you know, yes, I do the science advising, but I also am like the keeper of the Trek technologies, you know, so understanding how things like warp drive works, star dates, like all of those different things. I do have like this whole compendium at the very least I've have it in my mind or I've written it written it as background for some of the shows and so being able to utilize that and stretch those stories and include some of those in there is is really fun one of the things I really appreciate about you Aaron is um uh, so my my son and son and I have watched a lot of prodigy and uh because we're watching it off of uh, p plus we we have the opportunity to watch some of those little video clips that you've you've done as well about the science and the technology and stuff. And, and I love the fact that not only are you a PhD and you got all this super big science math knowledge behind you, but but you find a way to make it accessible and understandable to the layperson. And like, that's me, like I'm totally layperson. And I'm so excited that my son is interested in math and science because I'm gonna read his books and start to learn all this stuff that, that just blew past me when I was in school. Cause I'm a liberal arts major. Like I, I really wanted to be a, a biologist or a scientist, but it just I could it couldn't I couldn't retain the math. I don't know why. Um, but I love the fact that you make it accessible. And I think that's one of the reasons I keep coming to you because like you make this accessible and easy for people to understand. And I think that's going to really benefit the next generation of gamers that are coming up now who are like not like us who are I mean they're casually familiar with Star Trek. They don't know the 56 years of history. And in fact that 56 years of history is intimidating to them. Right. Because yeah. there's just so much stuff that they feel like they have to learn. And I think um, you being able to make the science and, every, and the technology and stuff so accessible is going to be a huge boom for us uh, with all the different things we've got going on. Thanks. So I'm just yeah. excited uh, for that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Michael. What I kind of wanted to talk about tonight, too, really, because this, you know, since this show focuses on game masters, players, introducing them to the game is how about your thought process for um, pseudoscience um, game masters oftentimes have the heavy responsibility of getting it so that it's digestible and accessible for all type of players. I'm going to give an example. Um, you know, uh, I play a tabletop RPG game and we have different learning styles on it different you know even somebody who admits you know they, they say they're autistic and they have different reading isn't their strong suit but video and pictorial is so really want to talk you know about the work you do because again it's making that science accessible in the tv shows how do you do that what's your process so that once the writers get to it that yeah. they're able to make it so that we understand we all go at home like oh yeah i understood that oh yeah i get that so <laughs> what how do you get us to that moment yeah and i think 
couching this sort of in the context of as a game master, and particularly if someone doesn't have a scientific background trying to build up these stories, um, you know, the the GM does have a little bit of uh, weight to carry in the sense that I think what helps is doing a little bit of research, whether that's in the Star Trek world or whether that's through the rule books or whether that's through, um, <clears throat> you know, just looking at sort of science and and learning a little bit about that and some of the Star Trek science that's out there. Um, once you have that backbone, that's kind of the phrase that I like to use for it, is that you understand the rough fundamentals of how this works, then you build on top of that. So if you want to do some wacky, cool, warp core emergency type storyline, just understanding the highlights of how a warp core works, and then um, being able to kind of translate that, explain it as much as possible. And of course, that's up to the GM, however technical that they want to get with that. But for me, you know, when people approach me with these storylines, it's, I think the most important thing in science fiction writing is just to have a set of rules, even if those rules never get explained to the reader, the viewer, the players, that you understand them because then it creates a reality. And so you're able to build off of that reality, but the audience doesn't feel like it's a bunch of bait and switch. It doesn't feel like it's being made up as it goes along. And again, that requires a lot of legwork in the back end. Um, you know, I'm thinking of like when we did the science of the burn for season three of Star Trek Discovery, like we came up with all these rules of how dilithium works, like how the burn happened, how like all of those things. And most of it didn't get explained in the episodes, but the actors would reference it. You know, the writing would reference it. Some of the story points would reference it. You know, the idea that they were able to like triangulate it using black boxes, even though it traveled faster than the speed of light. It wasn't like we were just making stuff up on top of each other. So it's really... um we talk about writing as like you can be a gardener or an architect. And I think with science and science fiction, you have to architect it. You have to plan ahead of time and try to understand it as much as possible before you go into the storytelling process. Interesting. So I got one comment and then one question related to that. Uh, so the comment is, um, I, I love hearing the behind the scenes stuff and the fact that you all did a lot of world building you know, ahead of time. And even and like like any good writer, like you don't show all that world building in your work, right? You like you know it's all there, but only the key bits are coming into it, right? In the show, and I think I got a taste of this when we had the good fortune of having uh, Carlos Cisco work on the yeah. Discovery book, and, you know, one of those staff writers. And I was like, because he had the ability to go talk to Kirsten Beyer and all the other production people about some of the inner workings of the Klingon Empire and stuff. And I'm like, oh shoot, you're pulling all this stuff right from the source. And <laughs> we only sprinkled a little bit of it into the book. But he knew it all, right? And that, that yeah. helped inform the writing. So I'm really excited to hear that that's continuing. Um, and then my question for you, you were talking about having to be an architect. Um, one of the things I've always been impressed about Star Trek as a as a whole is that over 50-odd years, they, they've been able to make most of the science pretty consistent, right? From day one to, to now, thinking of all the hundreds of writers, all the hundreds of production people, all the different science advisors they've had over the decades, they, they've still managed to maintain this kind of through line of continuity, right? Of, of things making sense mostly, right? Except for a little bit of technical babble here and there. So when you're talking about, uh, I'd love it if you could talk a little bit, Aaron, about like that that architecture, a lot of it was already in place, right? So yeah. what, like, what was your, you and your team's like thought process and like, okay, we want to build on what's already here, but then also find room to make our own thing. Yeah, you know, I think that 
the reason Star Trek has worked so long with that was that, you know, back in the original series, Gene Roddenberry, like he would call his buddies who are working at like Hughes or Raytheon or whatever and ask them questions. And I know famously, like they were, whoever they he was talking to was a person who has an engineering background and they advised to not make it the time warp drive, but rather the warp drive. Mm. And given that this was still a decade before Rocky Horror came out, that was probably a good move <laughs> regardless <laughs> from the science. But it was like time warp drive isn't quite the right explanation. And so changing it from that. But then what's cool too is that the series always was careful to not explain something they weren't able to. Like, for example, the transporter, right? The transporter was a production convenience and it just worked and we were fine with it. And then it wasn't until like the next generation that they started adding some techno babble on top of that. And of course I love like the Heisenberg compensator because that's a direct call out to the science that they're breaking, but mm -hmm. they understand the science of that and they're, and they're acknowledging it. And so I think that's, what's key is like, know what you can try to uh, explain, but also know when not to explain it and mm -hmm. just let it be. And then in 50 years when Star Trek is still going on, they'll be like, oh, yeah, that's how that would work. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that advice. One of the things we've talked about before and, you know, just digging a little bit deeper into architecture since you use that term um, is oftentimes we've talked on the show like game masters. Maybe they need to go look into nature, maybe how a flower works or how a certain animal stings and how the venom process or maybe even how cancer spreads through the body and then take that into the quantum add subspace onto that. So talk to me. Do you do that? Because I know I go to Wikipedia to figure out how systems work out and then I just take it to the spatial stellar level. What do you what do you do? Right. About that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first of all, subspace great go-to, one of my favorite go-tos. That's like a great catch-all for fixing or creating most things. I think for me, I I tend to shy away. So points where I will call like Muhammad or I'll kind of call in reinforcements is not when you are technically explaining something, but when you are doing what you are saying, like taking a scientific concept and then building a story around that. I'm comfortable doing that with things like space-time, planets, nebula, like all of these, this different space and physics-based phenomenon, but I'm not comfortable doing that with like, yes, ending a genetics plot, right? Like if you're gonna make a story out of genetics, I don't know enough about it to know what you can and can't do. Like once you've gone off the rails, I know enough to correct genetics language and I can look that stuff up, but I can't contribute as well to the storytelling that's rooted in science that isn't my background. So that's where it does get hard. And I love your idea of like, look, if you want to like take the weird wacky idea one thing that's a little more accessible that doesn't require a PhD in astrophysics or in, you know, genetic evolution um, is to take something pretty simple that we know and are familiar with this idea of like metamorphosis, right? Some sort of, yeah, flower behavior that you can look up and you can understand and then just expand off of that, you know? Yeah, I think that's a great idea, but it is it gets, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble real fast <laughs> doing some yeah. of the more complicated stuff. Yeah. The advice to players is be forgiving. Your game master is not Dr. Aaron McDonald. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Many right. times not. Yeah. <laughs> but, but at the same time though, I think I, I remember a recent conversation on one of the social media channels was, um, you know, uh, if you're going to play Star Trek, like, like, don't be afraid of the techno babble, right? 
Like yeah. you as a player may not know the science or, or understand it, but your character probably does. And I think there's yeah. got to be that, that willingness to let your let your character kind of take the lead sometimes, right? I think some players are really hesitant to do that and to trust what's on the page, right? To trust your character, trust those statistics, right? You know, I mean, the game's not really about the numbers, but like your character in the setting knows more than you possibly could know because you're not in Starfleet. You'll never go to the Academy. So like yeah. if you have a good connection with your G with your game master, like, you know, be willing to to just fudge it and make it up and say, well, you know, I don't personally have the knowledge to explain my way through this science anomaly, but my character does. So I, you know, I, I rolled two successes on my roll. I'll spend some of momentum and just, you know, tell me, like, just make it up and, uh, yeah. and go from there. I think a good analogy for that for players that might make it feel a little more comfortable is instead the language, right? It's like, we have no problem saying like, oh yeah, I speak Klingon, you know, or like you're having a conversation, how persuasive are you going to be? How, you know, if you're having a conversation in a different language, most, I'm not going to say all, but <laughs> most people don't speak Klingon, but we're fine assuming our character is able to, and you work with the GM to do that. You can do the same with the technical stuff. Say my character knows the warp core. My character knows the engineering aspects of the EPS conduits and the nacelles and all of that. So I'm going to go fix those. And, and like you said, just throw in some techno babble in there and hopefully working with the game master, you know, hopefully they'll have a couple ideas of how the problem is supposed to be approached. So you can kind of guide yourselves through that scenario based on, again, the statistics, the dice rolls. Yeah. yeah. I encourage people to take the Tom Paris um, effect of it when, <laughs> when they were writing, when, uh, writing Tom Paris, the writers would always let him be the linchpin to be like, oh, this is like a subspace sandbar. Or, oh, this is just like a trapezoidal finger trap. You know, And <laughs> I, I think players need to, I, I love it when my players do that. They'll say, hey, this is just how a sea anemone works. I'm like, okay, we're going with sea anemone, you know? And, and to Jim's point, I think people have fun with the game because in the end, you're making stuff up too and you're a writer for Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Think, yeah, that, that was a that was a great analogy, Aaron. I don't think I don't think I've ever crystallized that piece of it where where you just assume, yeah, sure, your character speaks twenty languages, even with the universal translator. Like, I mean, Saru, right? right? Saru speaks seventy odd languages, and it ain't no thing. Um, even without the so so, just as a player, like you're already assuming that your character can speak all these languages. So to just pretend that science and technology is just another language, right? I don't yeah. think I've, I don't think I've heard anybody articulate it in quite that way. And I mean, totally, I mean, it connected the dots for me. And so maybe there's a new player out there or a new game master out there who's like really nervous about that techno babble. And, and that's the advice that <laughs> Dr. Aaron has given you is yeah. just pretend it's another language and just, you know, fake it, fake it till you make yeah, it. Yeah. You don't have that anxiety when you're creating a scene with a Klingon, right. you know, with a, or an encounter or something like that with different languages or translation or interpretation. So mm -hmm. you can remove that anxiety from the techno babble as well. If you just approach it from that angle. I'm glad that was helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Yay. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> so I mean, I think anything we can do to help people, get over the fear of doing it wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm doing Star Trek wrong, or they're afraid, like there's one, there's always one person in the group who knows everything about Star Trek. And you just hope that that person's not the one who's going to say, oh, blah, 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 on, on episode 17 of the, blah, 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 and, and, you know, talk down to you and stuff. Hopefully they'll just go along with the flow and just have a good time right. with it. Uh, Michael, right. I interrupted you. I apologize. No, no, no. It was uh, you, I wanted you to finish that thing. I, I wanted to make sure to satiate the the um, di uh, the the desire for 
people who maybe don't play the game, they also get a little bit more background information about the the, the job of a science consultant. Um, for for I, I'm I'm imagining, or I'm not imagining, I'm wondering, like the writers, do you hand them like a book when they give you an assignment, like you talked about the burn or some of the other asteroids, do you hand them a book that they reference? Like, what does that transaction look like? Yeah, I think a lot of my role is to uh, make it as simple for them to insert the science. So my job is to read the book. My job is to distill those needs down to what the story needs and what the base science is that they are requiring. So if they are looking for something like, hey, we'd really like to use a neutron star, for example, in this. Like, I read about neutron stars. They seem cool. I'm going to make that part of the story. So what I would do is say, like, I would find out what they want to do for that story. I would see how it could be used and I would give some tips on that. Then I would probably give them maybe about four or five like lengthy bullets that are just kind of the top level things you need to know about neutron stars. And then I try to give some sample dialogue as well. So like, here's the right phrases you would use. Here's some like throw around, you know, the rotational frequency of the neutron star or the radio emissions from the neutron star or the gravitational well of the neutron star. Those little ways to talk about it that then they can almost copy and paste, you know, into what the characters are talking about, even if they just like glaze over those couple of bullet points. And then, you know, as the stories develop, as notes come back, as things change, because it's never just a one and done, you know, there's so many aspects that have to be taken into account then I've built a relationship with that writer at that point that I know the story. I know what they're trying to do with it. I know the direction the writer in the room has decided to go with that, that uh, we can then handle changes, production notes together. So sometimes those will just come. They'll be like, hey, we got this note. Can you fix it? Or can you come up with another idea? This didn't work. We need to change this. What can we do? And so I always try to say, I always try to be really positive, be like, yes, and all right, but are you sure? Yes, let's do it. Um, and then as problems come up, like I mentioned before, you know, sometimes it's not about uh, sciencing your way out of it. It's about saying, don't, don't explain it. Just let it happen. Like if we need it to look this way, if we need it to behave this way, you're going to get in trouble if you try explaining it. So just let it be. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Jim both went giddy when you said yes, and. You want to take it, Tim? <laughs> I should say that that's one of our favorite uh, favorite terms here. Anytime we do a like we 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 tend to do uh, episodes where we just riff off each other, and we we have some guests with us usually. And what we'll do is we'll just grab any random Star Trek Adventures book, right? And we'll flip open to a random page, and we'll just grab a random, literally just grab a random sentence out of it, and we'll just spend half an hour riffing on it and creating an episode or a whole campaign around that one sentence, right? And um, like for science and technology, I mean, we could do that all day long because it's just you take one little concept. It's like, oh, what can we do with this concept? We, we can build out, you know, focuses built on that, built on that one sentence, and then add values to it, and then you've all of a sudden you've got this whole character and you got this whole campaign. Uh, but we, yeah, yes, and is for me personally is just such the best way to run Star Trek Adventures because uh, I've gotten to the point where if I'm playing with a group, like I'll, I'll, you know, create an inciting incident, right, and I'll throw them into the, throw them into the fire. And then I'll just kind of sit back as the game master and just kind of like see what they do. Like, <laughs> yeah. what, what's their immediate reaction? Okay, then what happens? Then what happens? Can I do this? Can I try this? Sure. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. And then we just keep building on it collaboratively. And uh, I think that more than anything else has just created the best the best gaming sessions for me. And Michael, I know you've had similar um, experiences. Yeah. Totally, yeah. And then to Aaron, you know, I want to ask you uh, for 
what you know once once you have that book like say for an episode like how thick is that book because we hit we did a whole thing about our our game master's bible like you know keeping a bible and kind of you keep that science thick um in it so so like an average episode or i guess probably more maybe a concept i don't know if you write them by concept or by episode but how thick do those get by the time you know the show's out. Yeah, usually it's only, honestly, it's only a few pages because it's really just the need to know. You know, I think that that distills it. I would say the two the reasons I've been successful as a science advisor in entertainment have been the ability to say yes and, and to and to stay positive and to not just be like, a oh, science, that doesn't work. Science doesn't, you know, and not give alternatives, not give options Ooh. or or be like, hell yeah, let's do that. Um, but then the other thing is being able to quickly distill a lot of information. So for me, it's not about getting all of the resources, all the books that have ever been written, all of this stuff, but really what are those like 101 level class bullet points that you need to know to be able to write this, to know this. So for example, like if I'm talking about maybe let's say the gravitational well of a neutron star, right? I'm going to have to hit what's a gravity well, mm -hmm. what's a neutron star, uh, what's an escape velocity, what is maybe electromagnetic radiation, right? Like what are uh, maybe a nebula if it's in there or some sort of gas outflows that are coming, what are those made out of? And so really each of those can be about like a paragraph or half a page long that gets you the quick information. Um, and I'd say that that skill, you know, I developed from being a professor and teaching intro classes and then also volunteering at, uh, and work. I didn't volunteer. I worked. I did get paid <laughs> working at a at a science museum, you know, and answering okay. questions all the time and just very quickly being able to distill that information to a must know. Um, so, yeah, I it doesn't that. I think it's very easy to get overwhelmed. And certainly in science and technology, like Wikipedia does not help. Like Wikipedia is written by scientists who are excited to share their knowledge. You're going to cry if you try to open the Wikipedia page to space time. Like <laughs> it's it's horrible. It's not written in an accessible way. And so all the trying, graphs overwhelm me. <laughs> yeah. And there's so all the equations and like they dive right in. There's no top level. Like here's a basic understanding of space time. So just trying to find those, you know, looking at maybe like NASA websites, looking at that are just those quick explanations. NASA for kids is great. No shame. Like <laughs> Just go search that stuff. Look up YouTube videos, make sure they're reputable sources, but, you know, look that stuff up and just get those quick explanations. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, That's you don't awesome. need to overwhelm yourself. I understand it happens very easily, yeah. but it doesn't need to be. So then what's your favorite science concept you've ever contributed to in Star Trek? Ooh. Oh, there's a lot of good ones. I would say... Probably, honestly, the day one job that I got of dilithium, like trying to add science onto dilithium was cool and hard and intimidating. And like we scienced that like the, the top top level I'll give you was basically, you know, dilithium obviously has been around since the original series. Not so obviously it is completely fictional. It is not a real thing outside of Star Trek. Um but it is like, and the other key thing to know about dilithium is that it isn't the fuel for the warp core. It's like a regulator for the warp core. So if you don't have dilithium, then the warp core is going to go critical. It's It can't maintain its its processes. So 
But with the burn and like what we had to do with the dilithium was like, we created this idea that it was able to tap into subspace through like these subatomic particles that us 21st century pre Cochrane <laughs> folk haven't discovered yet, but that like have a presence in subspace. And that's part of the reason dilithium is so effective. And so like going down that whole complex plane of like defining the subspace, defining those subatomic particles was really, really fun. And Professor Noor and I did write an article on StarTrek.com on the science of the burn that people can dig into if they really want to <laughs> get into all of that. It was fun. I love it. So I'm curious, uh, Aaron, um, as far as like the Tendo Babble, I mean, because clearly when you're working on these consulting works with the with the writers, um, you need to create this stuff out of, I mean, pretty much out of your head, right? Just based on all the science that you know and all the research that you've done. Like, like, and and I don't absolutely don't intend this to sound like it's insulting or anything, but like, do you even rely on, do you even need to rely on a techno babble generator or anything? Or do you just, does this just come, come off the top of your dome, like, you know, well-formed and everything? Like, I'm just, as a lame, again, as a layman and a game master, it's like, I need the crutches sometimes because I just don't have the knowledge. Like, do you just like, just rip this stuff, stuff off all day long or... Uh, um, well, I try to have it all rooted in science. And so I think what's fun is if you can go through like the techno babble terms. In, and again, there's so much that already exists in Star Trek, um, you know, that you can take the phrase like uh, manifold, plasma, conduits, like all of these things, as long as you understand what those definitions are, you can almost just fix it, mash if you want. The only thing I caution against is like, don't just put quantum in front of everything. <laughs> it doesn't mean what you think it means. <laughs> there's a meme, there's a meme out there somewhere of somebody with a, with a sticker that's slapping on quantum on top of something, right? It's, it's okay. like, yeah. yeah. Well, now I want the one-on-one on that. Cause I thought it just means there's something that's very small. Pretty much, yes. But like quantum is basically when you get down beyond almost almost beyond those subatomic particles. So it's talking about the quantum physics is the idea that things exist only in a probability. So like an electron as a quantum particle has a probability of existence associated with it. And so quantum physics is all about trying to define how these particles behave weird stuff quantum mechanics i mean it is weird like it is the stuff of science fiction and it will leave you just like crying in your shower like, Neil deGrasse Neil deGrasse did a book about it that i it was like i forgot what it's called it's like for simpletons or something quantum physics for simpletons and it makes a great uh app to sleep to <laughs> like a, a good dreaming about quantum physics Right, right. And yes, so you're not wrong that it is very, very, very small, but it's about like the behavior of stuff when you're getting that small. And so sometimes it's just used as like, oh, it's a small chunk of something. We're going to take a really small chunk and then it's going to do weird things. <laughs> I love like, that. That was a good yes. explanation. So I'll, I'll balance that with quantum mania and just know that that... <laughs> There you go. <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm curious, uh, Aaron. So you 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 know you mentioned that you do all this consulting work on all these episodes, and not just for one series, like you're for the entire franchise at this point. And um, I, I'm curious, like, because I've asked this question of some of our other guests who are who've been involved in the productions, and I not any discredit to them. I don't think I've gotten a, a good answer yet. So I'm going to try you. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> uh, given, given that you are so deeply involved in the sausage making of each individual episode, 
Like, like, does that does that ruin the the joy of like when the episode finally comes out? Like, you already know everything that's going to happen. <laughs> so, so it's like seeing it on air, and you're like, oh, finally they got it done, and now we can go on to the next one. Or you're already buried in work on the next one, right? But is, is I'm there still- usually buried in work. Yeah. So typically, when a season is airing, it's been almost a year since I first have worked on it. Right. I don't really do a lot of post production. If I do, it's like stills. You know that it's like trying to get the the wormhole to look right or the nebula to look right. So I don't actually get to see the final execution of stuff. And for me, that's fascinating. Like I love seeing how I pictured it on paper come out into the visual medium and how much changes, how much is improved, how much like my perspective of it changes. I really enjoy that. I think there's, I mean, I could think of a dozen examples off the top of my head, but um, give us two at least. For, for us yeah. for us who love Easter eggs, give us a couple. <laughs> well, for me, like the uh, Jankum Pog was such a funny one because I read the scripts. Jankum Pog was like my favorite character, like hands down, just brilliant, genius, loved that character. Everything Jankum said, I was laughing out loud reading the scripts. And then they cast Jason Mansukas. This is not a but. This is not anything bad about. So if Jason Mansukas is listening, hang in there. <laughs> but um, that was like not how I pictured Jankum Pog at all. That voice, you know, that classic Jason Mansukas voice. I was like, oh, that is not Jankum. Like I had pictured like this old engineering, like gruff voice. And. So like part of me was a little disappointed. I just didn't know what to expect. That enthusiasm I had for that character was like halted in that moment. And then once the episodes came out, I was like, no, that was perfect. That was genius. The man knows what he's doing. That was so good. And it was such a different impression of what I thought it was going to be that. um, Yeah, that that was a good one. And then like the other ones are usually the execution of the science is very, very stressful for me. There are some episodes sometimes as seasons are airing, I'm like, oh, what's episode five? Like, I don't even remember. Let me go back to my scripts. And then um, and what did I (laughs) suggest for this that I should look out for? Um, But uh, the execution of the science, figuring out what they edited, what they didn't, how it looks, how it comes across on the screen. I watch it with my spouse and he doesn't want to know anything. So he's like, he respects the NDA. Viacom CBS, he respects the NDA. (laughs) Um, And so watching it through my eyes, who knows what's coming, but also him for the first time, there's been a few times where I've like paused it. I'd be like, was that right? Does that make sense? Does that make sense to you? <laughs> please, please tell me if that made sense because we worked really hard on that explanation. So yeah, it's a, it's a, I would say that was a very long answer. I don't know if it was sufficient, but the No, short- actually you've got me, you've got me sparking right now because I just thought about something that would be so cool if you did it, Aaron, because I, I'm a Delta flyer with, with uh, Garrett Wong and, and Bob, nice. uh, Bobby Duncan McDill. So I, I'm an admiral. So I join all their backgrounds. I just love background stuff. And it's fun watching Voyager again, having them talk over it. I actually watch it while I listen to the podcast and kind of keep up and pause because it just makes it so much richer. That's my favorite show. And have you thought about doing a podcast where all the stuff you did the science on, you actually, you, you don't, they don't show the episode while they talk about it. Right. But would you ever think about talking over just to get those Easter eggs? That's a cool idea. I mean, I've always loved commentary, like the DVD commentary behind the scenes type stuff. I've always loved that. I don't know. I it's so weird. Like, yes, I would love to, but I think I need to be more removed from it because I it's like 
it feels like a weird victory lap when I don't have a victory to take yet. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll give you that because they did wait 20 years. They did yeah. wait 25 years to to do it. But I hope one day you yeah, do that because that would be fun. That would be really yeah. fun listening to um, what your thoughts were when you were going through that. I think people would eat that up. And I think it would be trained. Like one of the things that I like listening to that for and why people would, I think, like it also is I've learned so much just about writing industry production, just listening to to Delta Flyers. And so I think yeah. your, the way your mind works would be so good for game masters to hear how you build story and all that. So anyways, I'm putting in the universe. Let's see what happens. But I love it. I love it. <laughs> it, it's like the, um, it. It makes me think of the uh, I mean, back in the day when we were doing convention, there was a convention every weekend, right? Um, somehow, some way, the writer Bibles for next gen and DS9 leaked out into the world and you could go buy a, a photocopied, you know, a copy of it uh, with the, with the brads, right. With the old uh, paper brads and stuff, you could buy a copy at a convention for, you know, five bucks or something. And, and like, that was a, that was a, that was a, a, a wealth of information for a game master because there was so much yeah. world building. You know, they talk about the characters and the science yeah. and the technology and about what to do and what not to do, how, and, and really in a way it was like helping you to learn how to form, a Star Trek story, right? So, like in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, maybe in five, ten years, you know, we know Discovery is coming to an end. Maybe at some point, some of that internal documentation might leak its way out into the world, and we can we can enjoy that stuff. And uh, it'll be like the um, like the the next gen technical manual when that came yeah. out. When Mike Michael Cooter and Rick Sternbach came out with that thing. Man, I'll tell you, like on the one hand, like the content itself is amazing, but like all this, all the footnotes that they put in there about the in, the inner workings and the Sajimega, like that was where the real gold was. And mm -hmm. I think um, I think the the current generation of Star Trek, you know, creators like yourself uh, and fans are are ready to eat that kind of stuff up. And there's just not enough venues for it yet. And it's yeah. like at some point we should put footnotes into our start into our uh, RPG books just to add in some extra <laughs> level detail. But we're not quite there yet. But well, <laughs> I, mean, I will put into the universe. I would love to write an updated physics of Star Trek book like that. Ooh. I feel is Ooh. so ripe for a new one. Uh, well, you, you did a book for children, right? I did Star Trek, my first book of space. And yep. was that what it, was it like that? Was it explaining some of the physics or? No, it's literally just a space book that just has oh, a ton okay. of Star Trek Easter eggs. Like it's one of those board books that is like zero to two, but mm. it's like a little here's adventures of space. But it's like, for example, my, my favorite page, it's no surprise, is like this is a nebula. Some people think there's coffee inside, but really it's made <laughs> of dust and gas. <laughs> Love so, the Janeway like reference. Those Good little job. Easter eggs for the, the parents yeah. in there, the adults. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to remember that Andre, uh, Andre Bormanis, Bormanis mm -hmm. he, he wrote mm -hmm. science logs about uh, his time on Voyager, if I remember right. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, th I think we're we're probably due for a really good Star Trek science uh, uh, nonfiction book from somebody. Well, it's advanced too. I mean, and and on, honestly, I will tell you the truth. And I talked to this about Jim about Star Trek Adventures in the books. Right now, those are the technical manuals for Star Trek. If you read through them, like like they're keeping up with the shows pretty good. Have you have you had a chance to peek at that and look at some of the language in there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think what's great is like, for example, you mentioned Carlos Cisco and then like now and Dayton Ward and like all these people who have worked in the world, like we do have a collective 
collective understanding of how a lot of this stuff works. And honestly, like for some of the stuff that I've been able to help out with for Star Trek Adventures, it's just been like, dang, I should have written this out like a long time ago. <laughs> this, is, this is good for me to have this information, like actually concrete and written out. And so I do like I agree. I think they're a great reference manual just for Star Trek in general. Oh, I, I, can we just clip that and put on a tweet somewhere? <laughs> Jim's like loving it. Yeah, oh, okay. I was I was thinking about that earlier in the in the conversation where you were saying you were talking about all that uh, world building you had to do for dilithium, right? And you were just you were, you were just talking, you were sciencing it all out, and I was like, yeah. So on the one hand, you only need a percentage of that for the actual show, but for a game master and a group of players, like the more the better, right? The more they yeah. can get in their hands and to get it into their heads. So that their characters know it and, and that they know it, but that's the kind of meat that that really makes a good RPG, right? Uh, because um, because uh, because it's what it's what you were saying earlier, Aaron. Um, you don't want to explain everything in the show because you want to give the writers some wiggle room later if they decide to go a different direction with stuff. But for an RPG, like the more details, the better, because you got to build everything on that. And and because <laughs> the producers are very careful not to paint themselves into a corner, um, you know, sometimes the, the material that is out there available for people to use is is not as deep as some of us would like to have for the purposes of our role yeah. playing. Game. And so being able to tap into someone like you and like, give us more, give us more, give us more. And it's great. And it's a good challenge for me, too, because I'm used to distilling something to as simple as possible. Mm -hmm. So it's a good challenge for me to like, oh, wait, no, like I can actually just write a bunch about this. <laughs> That's yeah. really good. But it's hard. It's hard to train myself out of that. You know, it's 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 fun. But yeah, it's it's interesting. Would you ever want to write a story pitch or a screenplay for an episode? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I one of the great things for me is on this journey that I've taken with Star Trek it's helped me realize what I want to do as a career and that's be a writer, you know, and especially in television. And um, some of that has to do with like the fact that I was inspired to become a scientist because of fictional characters, including Captain Janeway. Mm -hmm. And once I actually became a scientist, I was like not fulfilled and I just felt really lost. And then, you know, found my way into the entertainment industry. And it was when I was, first on Prodigy, and they didn't even have a name yet, um, but they told me Kate Mulgrew was coming back to play Captain Janeway, and I was going to, like, help write lines for her. Oh that, like, concreted everything in my brain. I was like, this is what I meant to do. Okay, can I we meant stop to for write. a moment? Yeah. So, okay, we're, I don't want to pass this on the road. We need to Good. stop. I need to get out on the Vista. I need to get my binoculars and talk about this for a second. So, okay. wait, wait a second. I know, I know. Okay, I know. No, no, this is just awesome. So, you got to write for Did you meet her also, Kate Mulgrew? So, okay. So my, P yes, this is a short answer. My PhD dissertation. <laughs> oh my God. I, oh, I dedicated my PhD dissertation to Captain Janeway. Like oh. in the acknowledgements, I was like to Captain Janeway, the character, like she'll never know how much she helped me get through all of this. I had an opportunity pre-working for Star Trek, but after I was like going to conventions and giving these talks as a guest, she was a guest at one of the conventions as well. And I, I brought my dissertation and I, and I had her sign it and she was speechless and I was speechless and it was really awkward because <laughs> she was like, oh my God, like this is an astrophysics PhD and it's Captain Janeway and everything. And she was very, very gracious and unbelievably kind. And I just, I'm still, I've met so many of the, I've met so many of the actors just mm -hmm. from 
doing the fan facing side. And I'm grateful that they've welcomed me into that Star Trek family. But like Kate Mulgrew, I still am not cool around. Like <laughs> no one is. But but honestly, I've I've heard other interviews, um, and 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 she apparently has the ability like just to look at you and just like look, get you gobbledygook. Yeah. So that's never, not unusual. I never remember. I've met her a couple times in passing, and I walk away and I ask my spouse, I'm like, was I okay? I I don't even know what I said. I don't know what that conversation entailed. Like I blacked out through the whole thing. Talk talk a little bit about, because you said something, you know, that, you know, now you get to rub elbows with some of the people that you, you know, admired and still admire. And, and now you're working with them. What do you feel, you know, I'm sure you work on other projects outside of Star Trek too, you know? So do you feel that there's a difference in the Star Trek family? Because me and Jim kind of always talk about that, the, the universe, the Star Trek universe of creators. What do you, what do you feel about that? hundred percent. There is a legacy to it. And, you know, I think across the franchise in general and the world is small because <laughs> we all know everyone knows someone who's worked. If you work on the franchise in any capacity, you probably know three or four people who all know the same people. Um, but I'll I'll tell another quick story. This is definitely name bre- like name dropping. So I apologize. But I was so, <laughs> so grateful. Um After I, so we announced that I was part of the franchise officially in uh, late 2019. And then um, in 2020, uh, it was 2020, but I did a virtual convention with Jonathan Frakes and Jonathan Frakes called my phone and said, Aaron, it's Frakes. (laughs) Like, and he was like, I heard about your job with the franchise and I just wanted to officially welcome you into the Star Trek family. And, you know, I've seen you for a few years now and I'm just so admire what you do and yada, yada, yada. And I was just like, Oh my God. (laughs) And it is, it does feel there is a sense. And what's cool going to the conventions too, with all the actors is there is a legacy passing that you can see happens. Like you see, you know, the original series, you know that they had given the next gen crowd a lot of advice. And then the Deep Space Nine and and Voyager and Enterprise crowd have passed that on now to the actors in this generation. And whether it's just sharing a meal together or, you know, swapping stories at a convention or giving advice on like, hey, do this, don't do this convention, do this one, you know, all of those little tidbits from these decades and decades, that is like in like unbelievably unique to Star Trek. That's wow. beautiful. That's so yeah. awesome. Do, do um, you ever get to be on set during the filmings or anything? No, I no, have yeah. not yet. And a lot well, it's of so that technical was... too nowadays. It's so green screened up. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so again, a couple of them are animated, so I wouldn't anyway. And then most of them film up in Canada and then Picard was in LA, but it was so close set because of COVID. I still have yet to step foot on a Star Trek set. Yeah, well, you should so tell we'll people that, that you're always too. on the side of Lower Decks. You should tell people you're always on the set of <laughs> Lower Decks, though. You should tell them, oh, yeah, I'm on the set of Lower Decks this week. Just do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Make that your thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that being said, though, I think uh, maybe you could maybe you could give us a little insight into uh, how you how you managed to, or I mean, not managed in things. Like, like, tell us about uh, the, the Aaron character on, uh, on Prodigy. Yeah. Oh, yes. So this was like the bit. So they obviously the whole Jane way of it all. They knew because I walked in there and I had just got my Voyager tattoo that CBS knew about. And so they had given the prodigy guys a heads up that I had this. 
And, uh, and then a lot of what I helped with prodigy was interesting because it was less technical science, although that was some of it, but most of it was how to make that show accessible to kids who might be interested in becoming a scientist. How do you create these characters? And a big character that I helped with was rock talk. They wanted to have a young girl who finds out that she's interested in science. And so those first couple meetings I had with the writer's room was asking a lot of stories about like little me and as a little budding scientist, what I was like and, and how, you know, how I approached the world, my ups and downs with science, how I decided what I wanted to study and all of those things. And so I'm very attached to rock talk as a character. <laughs> and then when it came I guess, spoiler alert for the end of season one of Prodigy, <laughs> but when they get to Starfleet Academy, they were having all the crew, all the kids meet people. And and they asked if I would be the scientist that Rock Talk gets to meet, who eventually sends her on the path of discovering xenobiology. And I was like, oh, there's I'll just there's been a lot of crying over it. <laughs> You've been in a stinking Star Trek show. Come on. So there's so there's only two people who have played themselves on start in the Star Trek universe, myself and Stephen Hawking. <laughs> oh, I was gonna tell oh that's right. Wow. And that's Stephen Haw- no pressure, right? And right. Stephen Hawking played a hollow version of himself. That's I'm right. somehow myself but in the future so either i'm a descendant although professor nor and i did try to figure out the genetics of that and that is a while to be able to have the same voice and appearance and all of that um but then also uh maybe i'm a q (laughs) maybe you're a traveler I could be a traveler. So Lieutenant Uh Commander Aaron McDonald of Starfleet Academy is a character and I got to voice it. I was, and I, yeah, I still, I still cry. I have that picture saved on my. Could could you please um, make sure to start working on, I don't know if it'll ever show up. That's Jim's genre. Make sure to write up your Star Trek Adventures data file. Please just start on that now. Lieutenant Aaron, uh, uh, character sheet at some point. Lieutenant Commander, <laughs> get it right. Yeah. Lieutenant Commander. Commander. <laughs> oh, my, my apologies. I, I am to... Lieutenant Commander. Yeah, yeah I did not choose my rank. I was very happy to see that when they sent me the mock-up of my character. I was like, "Oh, Lieutenant Thanks. Commander, thank you." <laughs> so you're not really going to anymore. Like, if you go to a convention, you don't need to cosplay. You're the first <laughs> cosplayer who's not really cosplaying. I know exactly. <laughs> Literally, I'm Lieutenant Commander. Here, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know it's crazy. It is. Oh. It's. I'm just so honored and so grateful. And it was such a nice gesture from the Hagemans to like give me that opportunity because they know how much Rock Talk meant to me and and how how much that show meant to me too, being able to write lines for Captain Janeway and hear Kate Mulgrew say them. And it was really a full circle like anchor. I think it really looking back, whether it's 15, 20, 50 years from now, like this, that show is an anchor point in my mm. career. So it's very special for me. Nice. So you actually uh, you actually anticipated my last question for you because uh, I, I know we want to we, we've had you for an hour now and I don't want to abuse your time. But, uh, you know, having talked just all these stories that you're telling, these are great stories about yeah, I'm clearly hearing some circles that have, you know, opened, began and closed. Like, you know, you you started off being inspired by Janeway and other scientists and that led you to your to your Ph.D. and your dissertation that you had Kate Mulgrew sign. Right. There's a, a clear circle there and you've got some of these other circles. 
I'm just, uh, you know, I'm curious, Aaron, if you can share, like ha- having gone to a bunch of conventions, have you had like young people come up to you and say, you know, I'm pursuing science because of what you have contributed to the to the franchise and just to, to who you are like it has that happened yet or is it is it is it coming or it I'm has sure not already it, thank you no it has started and it's crazy and a lot of it isn't necessarily directly from star trek but just i have done conventions as you mentioned for like over 10 years now at this point and so i am having people especially dragon con was kind of the first one that i was a regular at you know, I've had a couple people at Dragon Con come up where it's like they saw me when they were in high school and they're graduating from college in wow. astrophysics or math now because of, because of me. <laughs> it's, that's that's it's wonderful. Yeah. And I'm really honored. But that's what's so like personally, that's what's so fulfilling for me is because when I left academia, I was really torn about the idea that I wasn't going to be able to teach or mentor anymore. And so now still being able to like clearly being able to do that through television is just like an honor and it's really, really fulfilling for me. So yeah. I'm yeah. Very happy. To that, to the point, my last question was this, because you were talking about prodigy, which I love my niece. This is how I got her into star Trek. Um, I can't wait to tell her I met you. This is going to be crazy. It's just like, she's, I can't wait for her to see this, but um, and me and Jim have talked about this. There there's, was a purposeful design. It seems to me that every episode introduced a different piece of Star Trek technology, building the knowledge base of it. Now, when this kid goes and watch any other Star Trek, they're like, I get it. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Was that a, a curriculum plan that you put together? Speaking of you're a teacher, because oh, I, yeah. I, do, I do organizational development. I run the training department in my company. And to me, I was like, this is a curriculum. So talk yeah. to me about that. <laughs> no, I, I cannot take credit for that. But that is absolutely intentional on behalf of the Hagemans in the writer's room. Like they all that was exactly their approach was like we are introducing Star Trek. And what helped was that the characters were new to the world. They had to learn it all. So it was like, yeah, episode one, like, let's figure out like the prime directive. Then we're going to talk about how transporters work. Then we're going to talk about how replicators work. And like, they really just kind of hit all the highlights of Star Trek legacy characters. Like even just knowing the phrase, the Kobayashi Maru, right. Is Mm -hmm. like a thing that kids would be like, oh yeah, it's that hollow thing. Like, that was really intentional. Yeah. I think honestly, compared to any other franchise, you know, you know, some of the other sci-fi franchises or legacy franchises, never have I seen a show educate to that level where you've just made instant fans for life. So that was just great, great work um, on that. That's great. That was, that was my last question. I want to make sure to ensure that I knew there was a curriculum out there. <laughs> for sure. So, um, so what, what kind of stuff can we, can, would you like to plug or what can we plug for you just to like, what, what other than Star Trek adventures, obviously, which is, you know, I'm sure a very small, tiny piece of everything that you're working on. Just what, what else yeah. do you, would you like to share with the, with the, with the world? Yeah. Well, um, one quick one. I know this is going to be a while before this airs, but if the writer strike is still going on, support the writer strike. Um, it is. I've seen the industry change just in the few short years I've been part of the business, and I think it's really, really important. There's lots of ways out there to go do that. You can check out WGAContract2023.org. And if it is solved by the time this airs, hooray! Well done, team. <laughs> um, and then the other project, I'm actually doing a short film right now with a friend of mine, uh, Jesse Gender from YouTube. She's writing and directing a short film that I'm producing for uh, her streaming service, Nebula, 
Um, so it's going to be a narrative short film. We've announced all of the cast, uh, including unbelievably John DeLancey. <laughs> like we keep saying, it's just, it's incredible. It's unbelievable. Um, we're so grateful. It's a really cool sci-fi story about discovering gender identity in like a corporatized virtual environment. And we're going to be filming that in August and releasing that closer toward the end of the year. But if people want to check that out, that's on Nebula and we'll be releasing behind the scenes content, you know, as we go through the production. So you can check that out there um, until you get to see the full film. So yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And where can people find you if they want to see more about you and keep up with your day-to-days and stuff? Yeah, I'm uh, at Dr. Aaron Mack, uh, D-R-E-R-I-N-M-A-C on Instagram now and Blue Sky. I don't know how much I'm on there. (laughs) What is social media these days? Um, But Instagram is usually the easiest place to find me and uh, just see pictures of a lot of strike, a lot of Star Trek and a lot of space. <laughs> awesome. Very good. All right. Well, one of the things we always do is tradition. Um, Dr. Aaron McDonald is we always close with gratitude. Um, and so I'll go ahead and start it. I'll pass it to you. And then we always let Jim close it out. Um, I'm going to say thank you. You kind of inspired me. I'm, normally, I, I give a shout out to brick and mortars, um, comic book shops, game shops. I kind of shout them out. People from around the world send me their favorite and I, and I give them a shout out. But today I'm going to go back to shouting out the fans. And the reason why is everybody... I ever meet who comes on our show or when I meet somebody who's a creator or a writer for Star Trek, at some point they were a fan, they were passionate about it and they came in and the humility I constantly see is awesome. So this thank you is actually to everybody who watches this show, Continuing Conversations, people who contribute to the Continuing Missions blogs, people I see on social media. Um, be creative, you know, not every, you know, it's, it's wonderful when someone can make a job out of it like you did. That's really cool when you can do that. But but people have got to keep being creative because they never know where they're going to land. I always quote, quote Frank Oz from the Muppets, a creator, and he said it took me 20 years to become an overnight success. And I just tell people, keep working at it, keep loving it, keep passionate. And so my thank you is all the to the great fans out there who keep Star Trek alive. On to you, Dr. Aaron. Um, I think I'm I would like to share my gratitude for storytelling in general. It's along the same lines, but I do feel storytelling, whether it's through narrative role-playing or whether it's through television shows, I really feel it's something that humans need. Um, I have a quote tattooed on my arm from Alan Rickman that said, it's a human need to be told stories. Mm -hmm. And I just really believe that in my core. It's got me through so much. It's helped shape my entire life and my life decisions. And I know through ups and downs and sideways moves in life, uh, stories have always been there for me. And so that's something to think about. Thank you. That's very nice. All right, Jim, take us out. Yeah. uh, On a similar note, I wanted to express my gratitude uh, for all the, uh, all the Star Trek writers, the science advisors, all the people, all the engineers, all the amazing people who, who contributed so much to the, to the underpinnings of the franchise and made it feel real so that, uh, you know, when I was going through hard times, I always had something to watch and I could be inspired by that. And like, like I told you, the, uh, the, um, the writer's Bibles, when those leaked out into the world and I could read those and actually learn how to do story with that, tying that into RPGs that I was doing and not, you know, all the RPG writers and developers who created RPGs as a venue to tell stories collaboratively with my friends. Right. It wasn't just me creating it by myself. I was actually able to riff off of other people and we were able to build this thing together. Um, I'm just I've been so inspired by so many writers and technical people and scientists like yourself 
over the years and decades because you all have a skill set that I don't and I can learn from you and I can be inspired by you and I can apply that to my own stuff and then carry it forward and then see what happens with it. So um, I am I'm constantly um, overwhelmed and, and, and humbled by all the cool people that are out there making such amazing stuff for Star Trek. And um, I, the, like the fans these days have such a bounty of <laughs> awesome stuff to, 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 to lean on, not just the 55 years that are behind us, but all the new stuff that's coming out now is just amazing. And uh, I'm just excited to be even playing a little tiny piece of this, but I am so grateful for, for, for having folks like you on the show. I mean, like, I can't, I can't believe it. Like I'm giddy that you, you had the time to be here. It's like, this is awesome. Uh, I, I, I just geek out about it, but yeah, that's my gratitude. It's just uh, thank you for everybody. And of course, thank you to the fans. I can't thank the fans enough for uh, supporting the game for as long as you have for supporting each other. I've always said that it's a, it's a sign of a healthy game when the fans take it upon themselves to help each other, right? They don't need me. They don't need Michael. They don't need other people from Modiphius to, to help you along. Like they just do it on their own. I see it on all the social media groups. I see it on all the forums and stuff. They're helping each other. They're helping answer each other's questions. So fans, you know, we're doing this for you because if you weren't, you know, if you weren't invested in the game, then we just couldn't do it. Uh, not even, I mean, just financially, but just practically, we wouldn't, uh, wouldn't keep doing it. So thank you all very much. Yeah. All right. So the conversation continues. We look forward to seeing Dr. Aaron's more work in Star Trek Adventures. People look out for it. You will start seeing her name on many of the bylines and credits, okay, for stuff coming out. So, so we're excited about that. Until next time, IDIC. Have long and prosper. Be safe. Be well. We'll talk to you all real soon. Bye.